Oh, hello and uh, welcome to Esoterica. Uh, today I am uh, so honored to be joined by uh, organized crime author Peter Edwards. Uh, Peter Edwards and his co-author uh, Louise Nahera, Nahera, I hope I got that right, uh, mm -hmm. recently published a book called The Wolf Pack and um, the wolf pack, the millennial mobsters who brought chaos and the cartels to the Canadian underworld. And it is a, a shocking and fascinating read. So, so welcome, Peter, and thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. So, uh, wow, the wolf pack. So this opened my eyes in ways I, I actually wish it hadn't, because uh, now I know a bit too much about the cartels and, and their involvement in Canada. But uh, it sparked lots of questions. So so let's start from the beginning. Um, you met your co-author who is uh, of Mexican origin and has covered the cartels as well for uh, many, many years. Uh, how did that relationship come together? Um, he was in the newsroom and he um, someone introduced us. And it, at first I thought, um, oh, what an interesting guy. But then I thought our worlds are too far apart. Like I thought it's really interesting, but I won't have a clue what he's talking about and kind of vice versa. And then there was a murder in Toronto on College Street and it brought both sides together. Like we had a, a murder where um, his half was needed to explain the extreme violence and the uh, the theatrical violence, which is something we generally don't get up here. And then um, the criminals involved were from all these different um, different groups. And so that was where, where I came in. Right. I mean, it's fascinating. So, I mean, you say theatrical. What, what do you mean by theatrical murder? Uh, they kill somebody, but they don't just kill them. They have to kill them with an audience. So this the right. person who was killed on College Street was watching a a soccer game on an outdoor door patio with 200 people sitting around him and he was right under a big screen TV. There was another guy who was shot to death in a really nice hotel where the American women's soccer team was there. And so the American women's soccer team was tweeting about how terrible it was. The, um, it sounds odd, but the early, the stuff I've been doing before this, you'd have someone shot leaving a social club, leaving a stag, leaving a, um a restaurant but it would it would be sort of one person isolated walking across the parking lot um mm -hmm. but these ones they needed a crowd and they could have killed those people in a lot more discreet locations but they needed to be seen mm -hmm. and, and so and this is the fascinating thing uh so why why do they need to be seen i mean what what is the message is it is it fear is it acknowledgement is it uh, like what what is, what is it trying to tell us I think they're trying to be noticed by the cartels. And so the cartels right. are are kind of new to Canada. And so they they need to show that they're a big deal and they need to do it quickly. And the cartels do this sort of thing. I mean, we actually, when we're going through statistics, it was unnerving, but there is an actual government statistic for beheadings. And so, I mean, you've already killed the guy, but why chop off his head? It's to make a statement. Um, it, and they... Oh, there's one Canadian who was killed down there and there were people hanging under a bridge. And so you hang them under a bridge so people see it and you're you're right. kind of staking turf. And so um, um, it's sort of odd, but it, um, a lot of media theory and Marshall McLuhan, it's sort of when there's a when there's a void, you have to be loud. And, right. um, you know, that's how you establish your identity. And so mm -hmm. a couple loud killings and all of a sudden you're on the map. Okay, well, that brings us to uh, this concept of the wolf pack. So can you um, 
I mean, it's the title of your book, and I mean, I, I love the imagery of the of this gun. I don't know who came up with that, with the, the smoking gun in the wolf's mouth, but I mean, who is the wolf pack? Um, it's, it's interesting because it's um, a multi-ethnic gang, and so there's, there's and it's um, from across Canada, and there's no one street you can say they're from. It's mostly millennial. It's um, internet based. It's sort of you know going back to Marshall McLuhan. It's the global village, like uh, with right. the, the organized crime I wrote about before. You could point to um, a street um, like John Papalia, the Hamilton gangster. That was Railway mm -hmm. Street, um, Hell's Angels, and Satan's Choice. You could say Simcoe Street South in Oshawa um, for some of them. These guys, you can't really say where they're from, and they move all over the place. It's but there, but there's always the connection of encrypted internet. Mm -hmm. But I mean, and so this is the, the interesting part. So when we think about, you know, I mean, we talk about Marshall McLuhan and the media, mm -hmm. and our perception of of organized crime. You know, we think of. Um, various different ethnic groups that have that, you know, uh, that trust that ethnic groups have amongst each other and the history and the background. I mean, so you're saying there's a, this uh, disparate group of uh, criminals that come together through various internet-based organizations and how do they develop trust and how do they join and like, how does this even form? Um, it, it's interesting because they're um, the a lot of the internet. There's a guy Moses Naim who writes about the internet and how it affects people, and it talks about intense relationships that don't last very long. Mm -hmm. And so um, that that's what this is. And so it's odd that now, um, a pe since the books come out, I've connected with someone who is, was a character in the book who was shooting at the wolf pack, and now he's turned on his group and he's happy to talk about them. There's a Another character in the book, Nick Nero, who kind of looks like a, a murderous buffoon. And he, one of his friends, I thought he'd be really angry at me. And he was laughing his head off about Nero and more than happy to tell me stories about him. And so you just don't have the um, the loyalty. The, lo the loyalty is sort of the greed of the next deal. And as soon as the deal's almost made, then you can shaft that person and move on to a deal beyond that. And so it's um, a very short-term loyalty. So these people are reaching out to you, eager to talk to you about, I mean, their criminal dealings. So, so why? I mean, why? Why would they? I mean, why, what happened to the secretive? You know, I mean, don't they want to keep some of the secret? I mean, it's almost as if they're flaunting this information. It's really weird in my job because I used to work a lot harder and get a lot less. And now, right. now people people contact me. I mean, it's just just bizarre. And I right. the, the why part. Um, I don't want to use the phrase "dumb guy" stuff, but but right. I could. You know, like there's a lot of it. Is um, I was in on that too. Um, right. I did that too. I um, you got most of it, but not everything. Um, I'm not a monster. Yes, I did mm -hmm. paralyze that person, but no, I'm not a monster. Um, mm -hmm. I'm basically a nice guy. And then the, the sort of the paranoia idea, if um, oh, there was one, one attack where they just opened fire on a, on a full car, and so they six people inside, and a woman was paralyzed, a guy was killed, another guy was almost killed. But then uh, someone who organized the attack explained to me why they did that, and it's because people in that group had murdered someone from their group, and then they were taunting one of the brothers, like one of the they killed someone then they were taunting his brother saying where are you now where are you without your big brother 
and so the level of of hatred just built up and once you become paranoid you um it's your absolute worst self and then when you get them away from the group they uh, they seem like the guy who um you know fixes fixes your car or waits on you at canadian right. tire right except that they kill people <laughs> yes yeah. there's sort of, it's sort of an odd ordinariness <laughs> when they're not doing extraordinary things like it's a, it's a weird right. weird thing Right, right. I mean, that's actually something I, I drew from the book is, you know, these are, these do seem like very ordinary people. I mean, and, and there's uh, just an, an abundance of even just text messages that just could be casual text messages, really, except that in the text they're plotting uh, killings and, you know, drug deals and, and the like. So, I mean, how did you even get it? How did you even get a hold of all these texts? Um, where we got them, they don't, they, they don't want it said. So, okay, that's so, fine. That's okay. So, um, um, they, this is, there was an odd book to do because usually people want their name in it. And a lot of times right. people want their name on the cover. This one, people are asking, you know, please assure me that my name won't be in it. you like, don't, don't put me in the right. acknowledgements. And right. so, um, it was sort of an odd feeling that way. Um, the, um, there was one mess, um, one exchange that really got me where one guy was setting up a woman's clothing store, a really high end one in, in Montreal, where yeah. the belts the belts were like thousands and thousands of dollars. And then the other guy wanted three murders carried out. And he oh. um, and so the guy who um, was setting up the, the clothing store, he was the guy who had access to the hitman. And so he's the one who would send him off on, on jobs. And the guy charged quite a bit for a killing. And so they it's almost you know, you don't want to waste your money on just killing just anybody. And right. he he asked for three murders and um, but the other guy kept talking about belts. And so they're going back and forth in this conversation. And then the guy who wanted the murders got interested in the belts. And so he started talking belts. And then, and then it was like, yeah, we can get around to the murders. But you'd think, like if you're from a different planet, you think that somehow murders and belts go together. And the, right. and the guy who... Um, the guy kept trying to get back to the belts. Like he's more than happy to do the murders, but he was just focused on belts for the moment. It, it, there's a lot of odd stuff like that. No one was, there wasn't the why, or there wasn't the, um, oh, his mother's going to cry, or does he have kids? Or it was just, oh my God, I've got to order these belts. You know, can you just let me get on with that? And right. just a real, real oddness. And the um, uh, the guy who wanted the murders carried out, he would go to spas, you know, he and he'd, get massages and he'd get stressed out uh, like he'd he was quite quite pampered when he when he wasn't going around um you know getting people shot right i mean it is remarkable i remember that episode about the belts and you know it was very particular about the price range as well uh you know it had to be in the tent like 10 to 12 thousand <laughs> not the forty thousand dollar range and um and i thought well i mean Okay, I mean, it, it was very bizarre. I mean, so, so you have this this wolf pack, and and so the where's the name come from? Actually, the wolf pack. Um, they just they just thought it up because they thought it sounded cool. Like they just yeah. um, <laughs> That's really um there's some big yeah there's some sports teams in the states called wolf pack, and so yeah. someone would have just been watching a football game and heard wolf pack and just thought, oh wow, you know what, you know that's kind of neat, but they. It sort of makes sense in a way because it it, it is a pack. Like you mm -hmm. have to, as a writer, decide on who do you consider the leader and who are people asking questions to because there are no real titles with um, mm -hmm. 
with the old mafia or hell's angels their actual titles i mean the hell's angels they make it really easy for you because they actually wear their title on their vest like they announce who they are and they right. announce it really loudly and then they their title is right there with mm -hmm. these guys um i mean they all it could be any of them you just have to see which one's getting more respect and which one um um takes the least abuse like if there, there there's one of them who um you could not insult anyone in his group and he right. he pointed out that my men don't do that and he said they they know that i killed their families and so that's upping the level of violence again even mob guys in canada stay away from the families and hell's angels yeah. don't don't do that sort of thing i'm not making a case for them being um big public benefactors but there's certain <laughs> rules that, that they used to have right I mean, so I mean, so there's the Hell's Angels, and there's the traditional, uh, you know, as we you describe it, mafia. And so, how does the Wolf Pack, uh, this new Wolf Pack, uh, intersect with those established criminal entities? Um, it takes a lot of patience if you're in those groups to get to the top. Like there are a lot of old guys, um, you know, way up there who can decide on your fate. And with um, Oh, say if a criminal goes to prison and he gets out, then he's not all that internet savvy because he hasn't been Googling for a while. And so okay. like they're not they're not masters of technology. Some of the old guys when they get out of prison and um, uh, they, their wives would be showing them how to set up their cell phone, that sort of thing. And so the um, younger ones, there's a lot of impatience with um, the mafia. Vito Rizzuto, who was Canada's top mafia guy until 2013 when he died, he... He didn't get the top job until he was 66 years old and his dad right. was still kind of hanging around behind him and he was in his late 80s. And so it takes patience a lot of times in mob groups to to reach the top with the with the wolf pack. You just make the right connection in Mexico and off you go. Like, you know, someone with a with a trucking business and you you hook up with someone down there and all of a sudden you're off and running. Right. Right. Uh, OK, so I mean, and so these are millennials. So let's say they're in their 30s. Correct. I yeah, twenties and thirties. Like the 20s, the smartest, most efficient 30s. one was mid thirties. Yes, he was. He's almost uh, too young for the millennials. Like I guess right. he just scraped in there. So I mean, I, I mean the, the fascinating thing about this group. So you call them very. They're very tech savvy, but they're also um, ethnically diverse, which we touched on earlier. Um, I mean, so not only the, the ethnically diverse, I mean, you know, there's one, uh, one of the characters you mentioned who's even, it almost sounds like a um, made for TV movie. I mean, there's uh, ethnically diverse mobsters, you know, there's uh, one in a wheelchair and it's, you know, these are things that we would not imagine. I mean, what does that say about crime and, and actually wokeness, I say maybe even, I mean, <laughs> yeah. can anyone be a criminal and it's really okay? I mean, what is it? Is it? What does it say? I think you just touched on it. I mean, anyone can be a criminal, and it's um, uh, it's more greed. I mean, like like being woke doesn't mean you're not greedy, and right. um, and a lot of it's playing with terms. Like if yeah. you're if you're sort of bad at the core, then you know you might be on the surface saying all these these wonderful things that that are politically correct, but you're still not a nice person. I mean, it sounds kind of kind of basic, but um, um. Uh, yeah, it, it was odd. I mean, there was just a level of cruelty in that group that was off the charts, but but we didn't see any ethnic slurs. We didn't see any, any um, um, anything that, that wouldn't pass, you know, the sort of, you know, U of T grad school, um, right. you know, kind of sniff test. Right. 
fascinating. And um, now let's talk, I mean, the, I guess the one uh, demographic that's possibly not so well represented uh, is women. I mean, there's, you, you know, you reference, I believe, Nero's fiance, wife, uh, several times throughout the book and, and her intelligence. Um, I mean, are there, are, are there women in the wolf pack? I mean, can they join the wolf pack or is this a boys only group? Um, there are women profiting from it. Like there's yeah. uh, there is something about guys where we, we like our own clubs, but, but there are women definitely profiting. And there was a, um, I guess you call her a hit person who was working against them, who, according to um, someone who was in a group called the United Nations, she killed at least three people. And so she, and apparently she was on the far end of, of angry. Like she was extremely angry at a lot of people. And so um, they could turn her loose and nobody expected it. Uh, apparently once she got on an elevator with someone and, you know, it wasn't a good ride for the guy. Really? Just like that? Just something yeah, like, um, well, she Or she'd, she'd keep a grudge pretty well, but then she also was... Um, uh, from a family that a lot of bad things had happened to. It's one mm -hmm. thing when you, it sounds corny, but if you're violent, people will be violent back to you. I mean, because they're right. afraid of you. If people are afraid of you, they're going to want to shoot you rather right. than, you know, give you a nice right. hug and buy you a hot chocolate. Right, which is how we, you know, Canadians <laughs> think of ourselves. And I, I guess this is, you know, it's kind of blew my mind a little bit in, in that so much of this violence is happening in Canada. And I mean, you know, we have, you know, the, distinction of being that stereotype when we travel of, you know, good natured Canadians and, you know, nothing bad happens here. Well, of course we know that not to be true. Um, but, uh, you know, this, this book kind of really shows that it's, you know, there's been major headway in terms of criminal activity and organized criminal activity in Canada. Um, like, I mean, you've been on the crime beat for like a long time. I mean, what, like, what, where do you see the trajectory of going? I mean... Um, a long time ago, I got to um, know a guy who, Doug Jaworski, who worked with the Medellin cartel, and he was a pilot, and then he became sort of a technical advisor, and he helped them plan routes of where to fly drugs. Mm -hmm. And um, the they had been bringing them up through Florida, but then that became so corrupt, it was even bad for the criminals. I mean, you just don't know who to pay off, and it's... it's um, you're being watched too much. And so right. it's almost expected drugs will come through. And so the idea was, why don't you bring them up to Canada and then drop them back down again? Mm -hmm. And Montreal's, I think, 385 miles from New York City. So it's not that big of a deal if you get them to Canada to sell some up here and then then dump them in New York. And back then, the big deal was get as many drugs as you can into New York. And so they, um, they started flying them into New Brunswick and the Maritimes where they just didn't think there would be... Um, much surveillance and really high level policing and where one of the jails actually didn't even have armed guards and so they caught a couple of cartel guys um, from the Medellin cartel and then the joke was that if they escaped they'd shout stop or I'll shout stop again like they hadn't they didn't right. have any guns and they had a, a cartel right. hit team that was like a military group and so um, it's been going on for a while like, and then they realized there's a good Canadian market as well and so you, yeah. you don't just have to bring them down there a lot of um, a lot of it comes to um, through Chicago, which is pretty close to us, but it's um, right. it's a phenomenal shipping um, city. Like it's just a, um, a transportation hub. And so a lot of drugs are warehoused there and then brought in here through through trucks. Mm -hmm. Well, I, and I mean, do, is I guess the question is like, is 
is crime on the rise here? Like, do you see a future, uh, like, I mean, organized crime, do you see a future in which, you know, there are more hits happening in public restaurants, like the ones you describe in the book? Like, is this something, um, will, will this change the way Canadians think about ourselves as, you know, a wholesome, safe place for to raise families? I mean, where is um, this going? I know there's certain restaurants that I wouldn't sit too close to the next table. Like I, like it probably won't happen, but sort of thing. And, um, right. uh, there's one nice restaurant in downtown Toronto where there've been two hits and they're not connected. And so it's right. sort of, if you go for a good meal, you're probably going to stay longer. Like right. it's not, it's not a fast food place where you just get your food in a bag and out you go. Mm -hmm. And so, um, there's that, I think, um, I think the big thing to watch in the big barometer is how much corruption is there because you can't really have this stuff without corruption. And so mm -hmm. um, like now looking at the tow truck industry, what bothers me is yes. more than half dozen police have been charged. Like I expect um, people to do criminal things, um, but I, I hope I'm hoping that they're not wearing uniforms. Like that's when it becomes a problem or um, someone, um, oh, like they, with the Wolfpack, we found that they didn't have much trouble getting passports. That really bothers me, you know, that you right. can, um, that's a sort of, there was one woman who worked for Toronto police and she uh, lost her job and got a little bit of jail time, but um, her information helped lead to three murders. Like if you find out, if you know where the person lives, that makes it a lot easier. Um, right. um, I wrote on the weekend about a guy in witness protection who um, people figured out who he was. I mean, he wasn't all that discreet, but on the other hand, um, um, a long time ago, someone told me that you can't have real organized crime without corruption. You can have bandits right. and law breaking, but for the ongoing stuff where someone just defines themselves as a criminal and does it and buys a nice house out of it, um, uh, you need corruption. And um, the troubling thing is that almost every case we find corruption. And when we got into their encrypted texts, they were talking about people at airports and people at borders who were on their side. The um, new guy with the United Nations group talked about how someone in policing that um, they considered him to be in the pocket of one of their rivals. And so they, they, they just, the other side just seemed to know way too much, way too quickly. Right. And that, that sort of stuff really, um, that's, that's what we've really got to worry about. And in, um, that's when you've lost the battle, like in, in Mexico, the, um, one thing that hit me working on the book was that how do you clean up the police when the cartels are going to hire the guys that you fire? Like if you fire someone for corruption, he's got a higher paying job at the cartel next, the next day, if he wants it. Right. Right. Yeah, that is, uh, that is very frightening. Sorry. Can you elaborate on the trucking uh, incident? Because I think that, I mean, given the fact that the, the protests are still going on, I think that's really relevant. Uh, the trucking is, um, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty frightening because it, it's it's very 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 hard to catch drugs coming through in a truck, and it's right. they they know how to make um, um, compartments that are X-ray X-ray proof, and you don't need them to be all that big. I mean, drugs don't take all that much space if you send really right. pure stuff, and if you also throw in some fentanyl to you know goose it up mm -hmm. a bit more and make it more dangerous, but. So um, some of these guys are connected to legitimate trucking companies. And so most of what's hauled is legitimate, but then you just need right. a bit of drugs. And the um, what hit us working on the book was that during the pandemic, when things were tighter at the border, we assumed that it would be harder to get drugs into the country. And there was a um, initial sort of spike in the prices. And then they went back down to more or less normal because the drugs were still flowing like the 
they, they weren't having a problem bringing in drugs. And some of these guys are, are very deep into the trucking industry. There's one guy who was um, uh, killed in Toronto who, when we talked about the need for attention, he was kicked out of a Raptor game for heckling LeBron James. So he was on oh, camera. Yeah, yes. he got, of course, I yeah, remember that story, yes. Yeah, he got on the Jumbotron. He got kicked out of the game. He um, was happy about it. And he had fled BC because he was in trouble there. Like people were after him there. So he mm -hmm. came here. And then what's one of the first things he does is get on the Jumbotron screaming at the greatest basketball player in the world. Like it's not right. discreet. Right. Um, but he, he ran a trucking business and he was driving either a Rolls Royce or a Bentley among other cars and living in a really nice place in Oakville. And he was 34 years old and a trucking trucking guy so there is some pretty bad stuff in the not i'm not saying all of the truckers but yeah, it doesn't course. take all that much you know right. and it, these compartments don't have to be all that big right right um, i mean yeah it's interesting because you do say in the book that um the pandemic did hit organized crime uh, a little bit so, like there was a, a bit of a setback so you're saying that was very short-lived yeah i mean there and that kind of hit me because i thought Sort of naively, oh, there'll be hard. It'll be harder to get drugs. Maybe people will even smarten up and get off drugs. You know, right. stop. You know, that that was just um, didn't see that at all. It was just a slightly. Right. There was almost a feeling of um, uh, maybe it was hoarding or whatever. Maybe the criminals didn't realize they were quite so good, and and right. maybe they. But um, um, I, they they did just fine moving in their drugs, like they mm -hmm. it didn't. I mean, it is what they do. Someone told me that um, whether they're smuggling them before, you know, what's what's different during a pandemic here, they're already doing a good job smuggling them. So, you know, why is it any tougher when, you know, the guy checking is wearing a mask? Right. I guess that's true. I guess that's, that's <laughs> the truth. Um, so uh, um, now, um, was there any, I mean, the book is, is incredibly researched, of course, Um was there any major surprises either for you or, or for Louise? Uh, just, I think at the start, it was, there was a feeling of, are they coming? And then by the time we finished the book, it's no, they're here. Like it's, right. um, I think it's that send in the clown song. You could sing a right. cartel song to that. Like, don't worry, they're here. Like they're, and they're killing people all over the place. Like when they want to, they do it and they can contract out to another group. And then the other group gets a better deal on drugs. Um, also that um, they really are good at what they do. I mean, there were a couple um, accountant type people in Mississauga who were, were deported, but they would just keep an eye on people and they would mm -hmm. go around to where drugs are stored and make sure the place is tidy and they had nice ledgers. And it was just like an accountant doing a, um, a foreign posting. And so they, there was that, the, the level of testing, I mean, Canadian criminals, they sort of think of I'm nasty, I can be a criminal. These guys are more, you know, can you test drugs? Can you, it's more of um, almost like a mainstream business. And so the, there was one poor guy down in Mexico working for the, the wolf pack who was supposed to be testing the drugs. And he was a car salesman. Like he didn't have a clue how to test them. And he, um, I mean, it makes it makes them quite easy to cheat and it makes everybody mad at them. But if you're buying the drugs and you think you're buying 97% pure and you're buying 70% pure, you've been cheated for quite a bit. And they they actually had to dumb some of it down so the Canadians could understand it. Like they they can ship cocaine, um, liquefy it, dump clothing or some cloth in it and then send the clothing up and then take it back out of the clothing again. But the Canadians couldn't, some of them couldn't handle 
that. And if you're in on a deal with three other people, then you don't know, you know, if it's all smuggled up in some genes, you know, how do you get it out of the genes and make sure you aren't cheated? Right. Well, it's very complicated. Um, but I guess, yeah, I, I mean, you do mention that uh, there's a real emphasis on like testing and accuracy in business. So the, these uh, these millennials uh, have some serious business business acumen. They're not just thugs, correct? Yeah, and the um, one thing I got from working on the book too that I, I learned from Louise is that here people can step out of crime. I mean, like I know I know of one guy who made a lot of oh, money, bought a, bought a nice house, paid off everything, and then just calmed down and looked after his friends and just dropped off the radar and then he's not really a police priority anymore either. Like you have mm -hmm. after a while, everybody moves on. But with these guys, right. they're the cartels are at war with each other. And so right. some of the some of the times when Canadians are killed down there, it's because they're working in a war zone. Like there's a city where other two Canadians um, killed a couple of weeks ago. And that was in an area that four different groups want control of. And a lot of small groups are trying to have control of. And so if you're in a war, you can't just say, oops, I quit, you know, leave me right. alone. And right. so um, there's a there's a lot more than just buying a nice house and getting a swimming pool. Like you're, you're worried that someone's going to hunt you down and kill you. And we're getting more of that in Canada. Like there was um, a family with five brothers and then a couple of them got murdered. And so then the feeling would be the other brothers are going to want to kill us now. And right. so you, you might as well kill them. Like right. it's sort of a... Um, uh, once you get paranoid and once people are, are really afraid of you, then they'll do really bad things to you without asking. And a lot of rules get changed. Um, mm. I mean, it's, it seems odd too, but like at the start of my career doing this stuff, um, where murders would take place, like it was generally somewhere dark and late at night. And then now if you check, a lot of the hits are done in driveways. And so they don't really care if the wife sees the body and the kids see the body and, it's kind of a, even for pretty hardened criminals, it's a nasty way to end someone's life. But but now mm -hmm. it's just more of the thing to do. You just wait wait in the hedge, and he, out, he comes out the door, shoot him, and and you know. So what if the four year old sees the body? Right. Wow. Um, and I mean, actually, you, you do end the book uh, with a warning, uh, a warning quote saying that. Um, um, it's too late to retreat to a quieter time. And that, that really resonated with me. So, I mean, how do you think this is going to evolve moving forward? I mean, you know, those quieter times are gone. So, so what can we expect in the next five years? Um, I think for treatment or, or for, for a response to it, um, catching them at the border, like they're just, like this sounds awful, but they're just too good at it. Like they're going to bring right. the drugs in anyway. They can do it all through the pandemic. I think um, drug treatment, that's something we can actually do that will improve lives. I think right. um, for some of them, um, domestic violence is actually, you know, why can people do really, really cruel things? A lot of them have seen terrible things happen to their mother. And so they, right. they get pretty desensitized. Uh, one guy, um, he wasn't in the wolf pack, but he said that he saw his mother beaten so many times that he thought when I'm 17, this isn't going to happen anymore. I'm going to be the guy in charge. Mm -hmm. And so um, there are a lot of things we can do that way. Also with corruption, we've got to take it really, really seriously. Like it's not a small right. thing to um, to tap into a computer and check something out or to give someone a false passport or to help someone get, get through customs. It's um, 
uh, more tow truck stuff. I, I think really, really cracking down on corruption. I mean, we're paying police officers a lot of times six figures, and we should expect right. them to be just working for us, not the criminals too. And and good. It's funny because good cops um, for sources a lot. There are good cops who are incredibly frustrated with cops they don't trust. Like I've been warned by police, don't talk to this guy. Uh, really? You know, watch out with that guy. And and I've even had people say your credibility is going to drop if you if we know you're talking to this guy and you're losing credibility with us. Wow. That's just incredible. Um, well, uh, Peter, this was hugely eye-opening. I mean, what's, what's next for you? Is there another book about the wolf pack or what, what's your next big topic that you're going to tackle? Um, I'm not supposed to say yet because there's a co-author, okay. but it, but it's a, um, at least the first 90% is much happier. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I guess happy is good. Uh, happy for a crime writer is, uh, I don't know, unusual, but yeah, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll wait. Uh, yeah, this one's kind of moving out of crime. Like it's okay. like it's taking, taking a break from the crime stuff for a bit. Well, I'm glad. I think you probably need a break from the crime. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you very much for your time. And uh, we look forward to reading more of your work. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed that All a lot. Right. Okay. Take care. Thank you, Peter. Bye, everyone. You too. Bye.